Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone, this is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, July 2nd. Karen Francis has had a storied career in the business of moving people and things. She joined General Motors in 1996 and in 1998 became the general manager of Oldsmobile. Since, she has gone on to help direct and lead a number of companies, including a stint on AutoNation's board of directors. In the process, she's also helped take several of those companies public, including most recently the IPO of autonomous trucking company Too Simple, which went public on the NASDAQ on April 15th of this year. She says continued investment from both big and little tech companies is going to be important to shaping the future of mobility and scaling autonomous electrified and shared transportation. And while SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies that have been behind a number of transportation public filings over the last year, offer a fast pathway to capital, she also says there are challenges companies need to think about, including preparedness to operate like a public company. She sees autonomous and electrified technology scaling first in commercial use cases for a number of reasons, among them the economics and operational benefits, which she says companies like Walmart, FedEx, and Amazon understand. Francis also believes that we can see scaling of autonomous and electrified transportation in the United States without passage of infrastructure legislation. But she is also quick to say that investment in infrastructure is needed for reasons outside of enabling transportation, one being helping the environment. What else do companies thinking about going public via SPAC need to think about? What's her view on commonization of software platforms, and why does she look to the airline industry as an example? And what role do strategic partnerships in the movement of goods play in the broader adoption of autonomous and electric mobility? We've reached Karen Francis in her home office in the Bay Area. Karen, thanks so much for joining me today on the Daily Drive podcast. How are you? Steve, I'm great. I'm great. It's exciting to uh, be getting into summer. Uh, so all good. Thank you. Good. Well, I am, I've am. i been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Uh, really excited to talk about the things we plan to talk about today. You've had such a storied career in this industry at an OEM, uh, leadership positions in the retail space, board of directors, taken at least one company I know of public. And this notion of going public has really made a lot of headlines over the last 12 months, whether it's an IPO, whether there are right, a number of SPOCs that have been announced over the last year, particularly in the in area of electric vehicles and mobility, et cetera. So why don't we start with what's your view on SPOCs? Uh, well, um, I think that and I would say SPAC, I'm not sure who's right there, but uh, I think the SPAC mechanism, you know, it's been around for a while and companies have been able to go public via this process for a while. Um, it's just recently uh, become uh, very interesting for people to pursue in and around technology and specifically the automotive and transportation industries. So my view is I think it's a really interesting way for high potential companies to get capital, to grow their businesses, to get some liquidity for their employees, 
to get a currency to enable them to make acquisitions and also to get experienced board members, perhaps, and hopefully with domain expertise, uh, to help them grow and govern. Um, that being said, there are certainly challenges. I'm sure that's what you're uh, looking for here in this question. Um, and, you know, the way I think about the challenges, first and foremost, the one you'll hear a lot is, is a company ready to go public or to be public? And I think when people say that, what they really mean is, you know, once you're public, you need to be SEC compliant. You need to be ready with the level of expertise with your CFO and other functions. You need the internal processes. You need your external advisors lined up, like compensation consultants, auditors, investor relations, things like that. So I think that's certainly a challenge for uh, some companies. Um, the second challenge would be, you know, is your business itself ready for fuller scrutiny by the public? And what will you have to say and report on quarterly earnings calls? And, you know, you mentioned the EV companies and some others using the SPAC mechanism to go public. Uh, some of their business plans have them producing revenue two, three years from now. So what is it that you're company is going to say once you're public and you do need to report to your investors and um, the SEC on a quarterly basis. Um, I think making sure that the people who invest in you as a public company understand your past profitability, your business model, and certainly inherent risks so that they can make smart investing decisions. Finally, as it relates to the current environment, you know, the SPAC, you could use the word frenzy, has made it somewhat more difficult for companies, private companies, to get private placements executed, um, which in some way then pushes them to pursue a SPAC transaction because that's their only alternative to getting capital to continue to grow. So, you know, I would say net-net, I think it's good for technology advancement. I think it's good for entrepreneurs and their employees. It's certainly good for the service firms right now, and that would be the accounting, audit, law, bank mm -hmm. firms. And then uh, I think it's potentially good for investors, uh, depending on where they place their bets. Well, you hit the nail on the head, right? There's this balance when you consider a SPAC, and, and you were right, SPAC, versus an IPO. The IPO process really helps create that readiness that you described. And on the SPAC side, it gets that quick fusion, but there is that downside of, are you ready as a company to operate as a public company? And we've seen some examples when you look at SPACs that, you know, where they stand now, we've seen some examples where perhaps that valuation that was initially uh, targeted ha is falling short. Do you think we're going to see more of this, these situations where where companies are valued through a SPAC mechanism are, are falling short? They're not they're not actually going to make it? Well, you mean make it, meaning execute the SPAC yes. transition itself? Yes. Or even the valuations, um, yeah. right? We've seen a lot of these stocks right. go down in price as well. Absolutely. So I think that there will be, in some cases, not all, uh, some modifications to the initial valuation that was set by the SPAC sponsor when they sent a letter of intent to the company. You know, that's a letter that's sent uh, before they've actually announced their target and spoken to their pipe investors, et cetera. So um, it is a process 
of making sure that that level of valuation is appropriate for the pipe market and for the follow-on investors. And I think um, you could say that right now there's maybe some valuation adjustments because there have been some hiccups in terms of uh, the performance of companies that have gone public via SPAC early and their ability to, you know, do what I mentioned before, which is pr- effectively communicate the timeline for their uh, product or their technology in a way that people aren't expecting things too soon. So I think it's a, you know, it's certainly a process that people are learning how to accommodate the demand or and or the concerns related to valuations and it's really up to the company to make sure that they're uh, effectively sharing what you know why they are a good investment you spend a lot of time in big tech and mobility i'm curious in your point of view how important is continued investment from big tech into the mobility space how important is that to make this future of mobility that we hear about often a reality now steve when you say big tech who do you mean i mean the amazons the the non-traditional players right the the googles you've seen intel has recently acquired mobileye those type of players right Right. Okay. So I think that, you know, we are in the early stages of the largest transportation shift in over a hundred years. And, uh, you know, it's all being driven by technology. I think it's incredibly exciting. I think that both big tech and little tech, and by that, I mean, entrepreneurs you've never even heard of are all diving into this opportunity and will certainly make a difference Uh, both with the sheer amounts of capital that they're investing, but also with the unparalleled brain power working towards solutions that will enhance access, um, reduce emissions to save our planet, increase productivity, and make us an even more connected world. Um, I think the other angle to the intelligence that big tech is providing is bringing a different perspective on how to solve problems and approach opportunities. And it's not just the same way that we've used for 50 to 75 years. That being said, I do think that many of the OEMs are adapting quickly to that kind of thinking and are bringing new ideas, new people, new constructs on how they organize themselves more aligned with what we see in Silicon Valley to this opportunity, both EV and AV. So I think certainly big tech or tech has a lot to contribute. That's why we're seeing this incredible transformation. Um, But I think there's a lot more to it than just, you know, Google or Amazon uh, jumping in. When it comes to autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles and deployment and scaling of those, there has been debate for a few years now of whether that's going to happen in the personally owned passenger vehicle space, or we're going to see that more in the near term in the movement of goods in the commercial space. It seems the last several months, a lot of this stuff has been focused around the commercial use cases of AV and EV tech. What's your view on on how commercial use cases of AV and EV technology is going to help scale broader 
uh, adoption of these technologies? You know, it's really interesting. Um, as someone who was used to run the Oldsmobile division, as you know, um, my focus has always been passenger cars and trucks. And so when I started to re-engage in automotive five or six years ago in Silicon Valley, that was certainly the focus, not just for me, but for everyone. Um, I think the initial path for both AV and EV was in the passenger car and truck space, since we all wanted to know, you know, what are the, what are the big OEMs in Detroit and Germany and Japan going to do? But once you approach this as an economic, as well as a scalable opportunity, it's pretty clear to see that fleets and trucks can scale much faster since purchase decisions are made not one by one, but in the hundreds and thousands. Um, the, the routes that are driven can be controlled by headquarters and by technology. Um, drivers can be specifically trained around the capabilities of their vehicles and the limitations, I should say. Um, EV infrastructure can be set up and managed. Um, and, the, and overwhelmingly, the aggregate profit improvement and driver safety opportunities are enormous in the uh, commercial space. Well, it seems that these companies seem to be listening and perhaps understanding that benefit. Walmart, Amazon, FedEx, the U.S. Postal Service, they have all announced huge efforts to go uh, at least electrified, in some cases maybe even more autonomous than their vehicles are today. Why do you think they are, they are seeing these benefits? Well, I think... Um... You know, my, in my last answer to your last question, I think everything I said there, plus um, I'd also say that in the last 18 months, with much of the world learning to depend on and like shopping at home and delivery on demand, uh, it's put a strain on our global supply chain and improvements uh, in productivity need to happen sooner. So, I, and I doubt we will all go back to running five errands a day to go out and find five different items when we now have Amazon Prime and can get everything in two days. So I think the economics and the competition have increased. Um, I think they will all need to find ways that technology can help them win. Uh, they need to keep their drivers safe and they need to serve their customers better. And, you know, for retailers, this is no longer just a delivery strategy to complement their main business. In many ways, delivery has become their business. And, you know, I think we've opened Pandora's box on convenience globally, and it will be hard and maybe impossible to ever close that. So I think all of the, all of our new behaviors and learned uh, behaviors and desires require these logistics companies and delivery companies to really dive into this and make sure that they are maximizing their investment and their their return. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. 
eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. I mean, the technology itself is is pretty cool, but one of the things that I think is just very cool is this notion of vehicles don't necessarily need to look like vehicles look today to adopt those types of technologies and to deploy those technologies. Domino's is working with with Neuro. Neuro's worked with Walmart, has worked with Kroger in past use cases. These tiny self-delivery automated robots, vehicles, is there a real future there? (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not personally familiar with the specific economics of those businesses. So I guess I'm looking on maybe as much as you are here, but I would imagine that Domino's looks at this component of their business, not as a standalone profit center or a standalone uh, component, but as a brand builder, as a customer service element. And, you know, just as consumer products manufacturers have to pay for shelf space when they display their goods in supermarkets, these delivery businesses may view this as a cost of doing business in the new mobility economy. So while it might not be uh, ubiquitous and everywhere, I, I think the use of these delivery bots or um, you know, other smaller units or vehicles is a piece of their future business model. Sticking with electrification and use cases in commercial um, application, do these tie-ups like GM and FedEx, like Amazon and Rivian, do you think that for those things to be successful, these very formal strategic partnerships have to be part of the formula? Um, Well, you know, I'm sure you could get a lot of different opinions on this. I I would say you could start and say, well, look at Tesla. You know, Tesla has been enormously successful without any partnerships. And that's, they've almost, you know, gone to market with that defined, we don't partner attitude. Um, But I do think that as we get closer to the day of full autonomy, for example, that this technology will continue to take an enormous amount of capital and as well, millions of miles of experience in order to perfect it. Um, You know, I've often said that the automotive industry has become a village now, and we will see many more partnerships and relationships than ever before. And I think it's primarily due to the fact that the 
you know, the solution for uh, AV, for example, is very complicated. And I don't really think there's any one standalone player who can perfect it all by themselves. So I, and I think people see that and they realize that it doesn't have to be zero sum, that they can partner up and they can find a way to be successful and profitable and uh, delight their customers. And, it, and they don't have to go it alone. I'm curious about software and I'm curious about standardization, which has been a, a, a pretty consistent philosophy in the automotive industry when you know standardization seat belts pretty much look the same um you know blinkers they operate the same um you know so 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 even if you're within an, uh, uh, the same OEM the same manufacturer standardization of platforms it's a common theme but if I look at the EV and AV landscape now, there seem to be a lot of different software players providing different kinds of software, taking different approaches to, you know, the the the, the lines of code that power AVs and EVs. Does there need to be commonization of software platforms to to build and scale autonomous and electrified vehicles? Um. Well, let me give you my opinion as uh, a non-engineer on this topic. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think you would uh, benefit from an engineering perspective as well. Um, you know, I several years ago, I spoke on a panel at CES on mobility and transportation, and I used the aviation industry analogy, which was that when I get into an airplane, and I'm sure you as well, I don't worry that the technology used by Delta or United or Lufthansa is different or that the air traffic control software isn't compatible regardless of whatever airport I am in the world or that the baggage claim software isn't aligned and communicating across carriers. The aviation industry has worked this out through cooperation, regulation, and setting industry standards. I predict we will need to see a construct in the future for ground transportation um, that is similar to that. And that really lines into the concept of infrastructure, communicating with vehicles as well, and enhancing the operation and capabilities of AV vehicles and figuring out a way that everything does talk to each other in a cooperative, helpful, safety way. Um, that being said, I think that each of the manufacturers who are producing their own vehicles and they're um, building their technologies, they are going to try to find unique, let's call it secret sauce, that makes their um, product work the way they want it and probably the way they would define as better. So I think there will be areas where the software can be unique and custom and proprietary, but at the same time, I think there is going to have to be some cooperation across the industry to make sure that everything actually all works together. We feel comfortable in the in the airplane uh, industry. I think we need to get to that point in uh, for uh, cars and trucks. Well, the other benefit from that is the data analytics that comes from that cooperation, right? The ability to grow, to gain insight, to 
uh, improve where where mistakes happen, improve efficiency. Having that collaboration, particularly when it comes to software and being able to apply data analytics, there's also a huge benefit when it comes in that area. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And and just think about it from a safety perspective, right? You know, the mapping technology that many, many players are building today, and, and many are going at it on their own with their own um, methodology, um, that we will be safer overall if those systems speak to each other about changes that might have happened in the road or conditions, uh, you know, whatever might be out there. Um, I think we need to make sure that safety is first and foremost an important element of this. And I do think that sharing and the data sharing is going to be pretty important in that manner. You mentioned infrastructure a couple of minutes ago. Obviously, a very important topic of conversation at the federal and state level in the United States right now. Can any of this AV... EV future happen in America without those infrastructure investments? Well, I, my short answer is yes. I actually think so. And I would base that on the fact, you know, I live in Silicon Valley and we today have a successful AV vehicles um, on the streets. So yes, the technology can perform and it can work. Um, that being said, I think we need an infrastructure overhaul in this country, regardless of the introduction of AV and EV. But we do have an enormous opportunity here to incorporate components that support a, an optimal AV-EV future in the work that seems to be on deck uh, in Congress um, and in legislation today. Um, I think, you know, this is one of those things we need to think about the future and what we might need 5, 10, 25 years from now as we're planning how to spend infrastructure money today. Um, you know, on a separate note, China is way ahead of us on this. And um, as I'm sure you know, they've structured entire cities to support the future of AV. Um, we will, of course, never get there. But we can help. We can have AV and EV expertise help inform the improvements and modifications required and desired for the future. You know, and and I think you know very appropriately here. I love Wayne Gretzky's phrase in this context. You know, we need to see where the puck is going, not where it is, um, in order to plan for the future of mobility and transportation and our infrastructure needs. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Terrific insights. I appreciate you taking a few minutes. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you have a lovely holiday weekend. That's Daily Drive for Friday, July 2nd. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening. We're going to take Monday off to celebrate the 4th of July holiday in the United States. My colleague Jamie Butters will be back with a new episode on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>